0: Welcome everyone to the Directed IRA podcast. This is a special episode of the Directed IRA podcast, which comes from our first Directed IRA educational webinar on how to invest in a pre-IPO company. Uh, we have a special guest on here. Hopefully you find it educational, informative, and please enjoy. Let me just get it started. I'm going to turn it over to Aaron. So welcome everyone. This is the first Directed IRA webinar. You know, you may be Familiar with the podcast or Main Street Business Podcast, other things Mark and I do, but um, this is really meant to um, be geared towards educating people on certain self-directed investments. And when someone's a self-directed investor, which is what we're doing, of course, all day at Directed IRA, what what can I learn in certain asset classes? And we want to focus on private companies and pre-IPO stuff today. So, um, now the question I just seen these come in on the YouTube, if you go to Matt Sorensen, just my YouTube channel, that's where these actually get posted. They're also shared on the directed IRA YouTube channel if you're, um, following either one of those. So, all right, let me turn it over to Aaron. Um, Aaron manages all of our new accounts, business development, marketing, um, like a big piece of the business here at directed IRA. And then, uh, we'll just get it kicked off. Yeah. So. Well, yeah,
1: thanks, uh, everyone. I'm glad we could do this. You know, we we get asked all the time to, to host these, um, you know, more educational type events on, you know, what's in the marketplace, you know, for self-directed IRA investors specifically. And so we're excited to launch the, this webinar series um, that will have ongoing uh, featured guest experts. And so, you know, Matt and I will be the ones, you know, hosting this and we're, We'll bring on some, you know, talented professionals to share their area of expertise and, you know, a little bit of their case studies and what's been working for them. And so today we have joining us uh, Chris Loeffler with uh, the Caliber uh, Wealth Development Company. So thanks, Chris, for being on with us. We appreciate it.
2: Hey, how are you?
1: Good, good. So Chris is uh, uh, all the way in Scottsdale, Arizona, about 20 minutes, really far from our office.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... It's beautiful today, isn't it, guys? Oh my gosh, that. yeah. Are, I feel bad
0: for all the people in Texas and other places. Oh, I, I mean, it's.
2: I've got family in Texas, and they're you know they're we're on a text chain, and they're talking about how they've got like a, a you know flashlight hanging from the top of the stove, yeah. and they're using it to like make ramen noodles to try to survive right now. So it's it's Dang. a crazy it's a crazy time in Texas. Yeah.
1: Well, well, we're excited to have you on, and you know we got a lot of great content to cover. Uh, for those of you that are that are joining us here live, uh, we will reserve some time at the end for some live questions and answers. Um, we're going to do this in a true webinar format, so uh, we have a, a handful of slides today that that we'll go over, and then we're just going to have a real interactive discussion. And uh, we're excited to hear what Chris, uh, you know, has been doing, and you know, he, he's been in the the real estate and you know, uh, space for many years, and allowing IRA investors, you know, the opportunities to go in various things that he has going with this company. And they're doing a lot of of cool strategies to to share with everybody on how you can get uh, started in various aspects of investing your IRA in privately held companies. And so, you know, this is one of the things that we've been heavily focused on as a company and working with with companies such as Caliber to, to bring on you know, people to open up IRA accounts, a directed IRA, and then invest in, you know, uh, private companies, you know, private real estate, promissory notes. And so we got a lot of great content. Matt's added some slides in today as well. Again, we are recording this. So we will uh, put this on, you know, our podcast page, our YouTube channel, and also on directed IRAs website under the webinars and events uh, tabs as well. And so Well, Matt, um, I know you got some stuff prepared here. Uh, Chris has prepared some good slides. And so why don't you kick things off and and we'll start leading the discussion.
0: Okay. So now Chris has some background in this and I just want to, you know, say this is kind of my legal disclaimer you know, uh, Chris has funds people can invest into. They're like, you know, they buy an apartment building thing or they buy hotels and, you know, and they're an asset manager themselves selling their own stock on a reggae offering reggae plus, which we'll talk about here in a second, but he's really here as an expert. So I have no idea whether you should invest with Chris or not talk to your own financial advisors. I don't, that's not the purpose of this, but, but I just have Chris here as the expert. So that's my uh, little disclaimer. Well, one thing, I was doing today. I just, you know, we're funding these deals every day for clients investing in private companies. And I just, like, literally two hours ago, I just approved a wire for a client's IRA investing in a medical device company, in a Series A round that was raising twelve million dollars. Okay, and so this is a Series A round. We're going to talk about what the heck that is. Mm -hmm. And this person put in fifty grand, which is many times the minimum, fifty grand, and is is what's called Reg D offering. And it's a medical device company that, um, that that would eventually hope to go into a pre-IPO, or sorry, go into an IPO. So um, so that, that's, that's an easy example here. And then we'll, we're going to talk about Chris, though. So, Chris, so let, Caliber right now is doing a Reg A-plus offering. And this is like the last step maybe you raise before an IPO. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It depends on the company, you know. Some for us, for Calibers Reggae, it's the last step. For other companies, it might be the first of maybe a series of these types of offers. Yeah. Before. so it really depends. But for us, we are we are as close uh, to being listed as you typically are before you get listed.
0: Okay, so let's take us back, if you will, into from the investor perspective. So if like and you can use your company as an example but um like when can an investor come in in a pre-ipo company yeah. so you know from an angel or these different seed rounds like like walk us through that that story and where the investors can come in and invest at what stages
2: yeah so i'm i'm you know as you guys know because we've known each other for a while i i have a, the heart of a teacher when it comes to this stuff so th- th- as you, as you said you know this is really an opportunity for us to teach everybody on the, on the call, what, what, at least what I know, or at least what I've learned in the space. So I'm speaking to you from a experienced entrepreneur, having gone through this a couple of times. Um, and, um, and, and naturally we're also a customer of the process because of the fact that we have, you know, one in the market right now, but you've got your, you know, kind of your, your pre-seed angel round. So that's usually they, sometimes they call it a friends and family round, um, sometimes you call it a, you know, a founder's stock or whatever gets sold off. And that's usually, you know, a couple hundred grand to start a company. Um, and, you know, what's the valuation of the company? People do one of those. Usually it's around 5 million bucks. Um, and it's like 5 million, why? I don't know, because this founder is crazy enough to work hard to try to build a business, right? Um, and then the next stage comes and that's where you're like hiring employees and you're starting to grow and you're giving them all this equity in the business. So it's worth nothing. And you're hoping that they'll stick around long enough um, to build the business. And so that's where you kind of see that employee layer of, of stock that goes in. And then you've got your seed round. And your seed round is your, usually where you bring in angel, what they call angel investors. Um, if you go through a fixed angel process um, and you're working with professional angel groups and professional angel investors, they actually will help teach you. They'll, they'll teach you how to pitch your company. They'll teach you how to, they'll like give you serious input on your business model and help you refine maybe the the, the, the path you're taking in the market. So as you guys may or may not know, I'm also a co-founder in a, local company that is venture funded, um, that is in a different, totally different business. Um, but we did that. We raised $2.2 million in an angel round. Um, and we went through the process with desert angels, which was at the time, the fourth most prolific angel investment
0: group in the country. It happens to be in Tucson, Arizona. Um, and, um, you know, let, me, to- let me stop you there because I had a question come in before. I've already gotten a bunch of questions emailed to me before today. Okay. So I had a question come in from James who asked, basically, how can I find out about pre-IPO companies? Like, where do these angels and people who want to invest early, um, where are they going? And you mentioned one right there.
2: Yeah, so Desert Angels is a great group in town. There's another one in town called Canyon Angels. would be
0: Arizona ones, but Arizona ones, Arizona. But, yeah. And
2: across the country, if you Google in your local area, you'll probably find a prominent angel group. Like in San Diego, it's Tech Coast Angels, is, is yeah.
0: One. Yeah, we've worked with them and seen deals come through for, through Tech Coast Angels. That you know they've funded some deals. People's yep. IRAs come in over here. I've spoke there. Good group.
2: Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, you are so far away from an IPO as an angel, you you should you probably shouldn't have that even in your mind, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because yeah. most companies that are funded by angels fail, and the ones that don't, um, they're probably going to get acquired at some point in time. An, an IPO is the least likely exit for for an angel funded company, um, and you know, the, as an investor, you're looking in, in an angel round that maybe one out of ten or two out of ten companies are successful and you're hoping to increase your investment by 20 times or something like that. So you've got a pretty high fail rate, Um, but it's fun. And you can add your talent and your skill set into the process and help, help those, you know, those angel funding companies and those founders get somewhere. Right. So then you've got like your, there's a, there's a variety between the seed stage and then the series A, which is the big, you know, kind of jump from angel to venture capital. Okay. Where you'll typically do these like you know, post seed or seed A, seed B, where you know the company needs to keep trickling in some money to try to grow. Yeah, and um, and you'll see valuations grow from like five million to eight million to twelve million to twenty million. And That's kind of that valuation range. So you keep investing at these bigger and bigger valuations. Caliber raised our first money at eighteen an eighteen million dollar valuation, which for us was eighty five cents a share um, in two thousand. 13. Uh, yeah. so it was, it was quite a long time ago and that would be kind of like your late seed round, um, type investment. And then you've got your series a, and this is like the entry into professional venture capital. So all of those big name companies you hear out there, Sequoia, you know, Andreessen Horowitz, Lightspeed, etc. These guys are all these like really well-renowned, uh, venture capital investors. And as an individual, like everybody on this call with your IRA funds, are you going to be a LP in Andreessen's next venture fund? No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Sorry, unless you're writing a $10 million check and you've known them for years, you're not getting into that fund. Um, and so the ability for an investor on a call like this typically to access VC is limited to their ability to find a quality venture capital firm to invest in that VC fund—they have typically got to be accredited. More often than not, they have to be a qualified investor. So they have to have a five million dollar net worth instead of a million dollar net worth. Um, and even then, it's very hard to find a VC you can invest with. Um, so that's that's where you start to get boxed out. You can be an individual and be an angel, but it, when it comes to VC, which is really where the where the companies have been significantly de-risked compared to the angel round. You're boxed out. Um, yeah. So I'll pause there. I don't know if that's too much information yeah, no, on that I, or what do you think?
1: I have a question on like, and Matt and I talked about it a little bit earlier. So, you know, kind of the, what, what, what is the due diligence involved? You know, because like the, the these, the, this IRA money, right. Yeah. These are kind of like sacred funds, right? Pre-tax, right. you know, post-tax, you know, tax-free dollars potentially if it's the Roth. So, you know, th- we're not really wanting to lose that money. Of course, you know, it, it could be. But like what kind of due diligence efforts go in and then what what kind of like return or investment structure is typically seen kind of in these earlier rounds that, that you know, one could expect or what you've done and offered?
2: Yeah. So like. Not a lot of diligence at the seed stage. You're just kind of making bets. and and you know, they'll look at the company and make sure it's a real business and that kind of stuff. And if you're in any, in a good angel group, they'll do all of that for you. Okay. but hard to tell, you know, if you looked at Uber at the seed stage, would yeah. you have known that it was going to be Uber? No way, you know. and so the the strategy there is to be diversified mm. and make a lot of bets. Um, and that's where you have problems as an individual investor because if you've got, hundred thousand bucks in your self-directed IRA and there's $50,000 minimum, you've got two bets, right? And if you only make two bets in the venture or in angel investing, the likelihood is you're going to lose a hundred percent of your money um, unless you were like perfectly good. And what they've actually found is they studied VC is that no matter how good your vetting process is, a great vetting process will kick out Companies that end up being really successful because they they say oh because of this reason we're not going to invest in you, and then the company ends up blowing the the roof off the because it's just too hard to predict at an early stage and so yeah what what a better strategy is is to place lots of bets and that's where this whole equity crowdfunding layer comes in.
0: Okay, so let's let's pivot to that. So. Um, So we've got this kind of series A round or these series rounds, which are more VC focused. Like you may get a co-invest or they may be taking some outside investors, but IRAs may be coming in more in seed rounds, which is high risk, but it could be high return or in Mm -hmm. kind of these angel rounds. Um, We certainly see clients' IRAs coming in at at these levels. Um, But let's talk about this equity crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is something we've heard about more um, and let me just share, I think you actually had a slide on that. Some of these are my slides. Some of these are Chris's just, you know, so, um, so the ones you like, they're mine. The ones you think suck are Chris's. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. This is, this is Chris. Explain this equity crowdfunding. Cause you've gone through that too. I mean, so you've had kind of seed angel. You've had this series rounds with yeah. VC, um, and maybe, and, and now, and you've done some equity crowdfunding, like walk us through this next step. step. Yeah. From so- the investor side.
2: So you're you're now you're you're looking at equity crowdfunding. What is that? That's a layer. Okay. You could be in the, the angel stage, you could yeah. be in the pre-seed stage, you can be in the series A, series B, series C. All it is is an online layer of putting money in at these different stages in a business. So it's not to say that equity crowdfunding is part of that that, you know, that big stack. It actually could come in at different places at different times, depending on where the business is raising money. And the reason why. Equity crowdfunding actually de-risks the process. is is really two things in my mind. One, it lowers the minimum investment. In most equity crowdfunding deals, the minimum investment is somewhere between five hundred bucks and five thousand bucks. You know, our round is two thousand dollars. You know, and so now with my hundred grand, I could make fifty bets at two thousand dollars, right? Yeah.
0: Um,
2: you know, instead of making two bets. Um, in addition to that because of the process of equity crowdfunding and the type of marketing you have to do to raise capital and the amount of sunlight you shine on yourself and your company, it's actually harder to be a fraudster and do an equity crowdfunding round than it is to be a fraudster and like put together a little reg D offering and get a couple of people that be a really good salesman and get some people to buy into a company that's never going to go anywhere. So if you're really like not trying to build a business and you have to go through the vetting process necessary to get on a crowdfunding platform and do all this marketing and convince, you know, a thousand, two thousand, five thousand people to invest in your company. It's so much more work to do it that way than it is to just do a little reg D offering that it actually, in my opinion, de risks the process for fraud. Um, yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that the companies are going to be better or, or worse. It just means that you've kind of taken a layer of that away.
0: Yeah. Now, in one way, I think I've seen some companies do it this way that where they've done kind of this. VC round. And mm-hmm. then after the VC round, they go do an equity crowdfunding platform and they'll go on and they'll say, Hey, we've already had X, Y, Z, VC font firm back us. So, yeah. you know, they're not, they know what they're doing. They're smart. They're not going to just back anybody. They like their money, you know? Yeah. And so it can add some credibility. You see that as a strategy. I mean, you guys, did you do that? Like, yeah, right? it's a great strategy. And we, I mean,
2: as you guys know, we've raised over four hundred million dollars from accredited investors in our real estate funds, and so we're backed by, you know, quite a few more yeah. substantial people than just just the a couple of VC firms. But most um, most companies that do that strategy, the reason they do it is, yes, you've got a VC that's vetted the, the deal, so that makes every investor feel more comfortable. But you know, there were VCs that vetted the Theranos deal, and
0: and we saw yeah. that, that. good point.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Um, but more importantly VCs are writing one check for 2 million dollars into your company and they want a third of the business sure yeah if i'm coming now and i say okay i need another 2 million but i don't want to give up another third of my business i can say if i give someone like you know chris or matt or aaron the right to put 10 grand from their ira into my company maybe they mainly get force me to give up 15% of my business instead of a third of my business because the smaller check size and the lower risk profile allows me to justify maybe a higher valuation or, you know, getting more favorable terms from the capital because I don't have a single check writer. So for one reason, you get more favorable terms and that's why people are doing it. And if you're an investor on this call, and you're saying, well, that means I have to pay a higher price than Andreessen. Yeah, you do. Yeah. But you also got to write the check for 10 grand and you got to do it well in your PJs with a cup of coffee. And the reason why you're making bets on these companies is not because you think they're going to go from you know a 50 million dollar valuation to a 60 million dollar valuation, that really matters. You think they're going to go from a 50 million dollar valuation to a 500 million dollar valuation. So it's kind of one of those things where it doesn't really make a difference if you paid a little bit more than the, than the VC did. And the other thing that people do it for is it's called it's a customer acquisition strategy. So for Caliber's purposes, we had 200 shareholders before we started this process we're hoping to land with 5 to 10,000 shareholders at the end of it and of those 5 to 10,000 people we're betting that at least 20 to 30% of them are accredited investors and could become investors in our funds so they might own 10,000 dollars worth of stock but they might put a half a million into our real estate funds and we've we've already seen that come to be mm-hmm. successful and so it's a way to say, okay, I'm going to make you a co-owner in my business, but now let me show you our products. And of course, if you own my, if you own some stock, you're going to want to look at the products. Right. Um, and so yeah. a lot of companies see that as a successful.
1: Um, Interesting.
0: Okay. Let me, let me go into some terms. I just wanted to point out a couple things here in terms of like, what a language you should be looking for as an investor in, um, in the documents. All right. And then we've got some questions coming in. We're, we'll take a moment here, maybe in five or 10 minutes and field some questions. Then we'll, we'll do a little more and come back for questions at the end. Um, but let me just, um, share a slide here on some terms I want to talk through and Aaron or, uh, Chris, feel free to, um, jump in on these, but sure, these are ones I think this is, this is Matt, the lawyer, by the way, you know, <laughs> um, I just want to hit a couple of terms here. So, One of the things to be aware of, these are some things you might see in a pre-IPO company, whether you're an angel or coming in at these seed, you know, whatever round you're coming in, these might be some terms and things to know. One is what's called a tag along, right? So this is a a good thing for you, typically. So if the founders are going to sell their ownership, then you can force them to sell your shares too at the same price they sell yours. And, right, because if you're an investor, you don't want the, the founder to sell out and go on to their next thing or, or go retire. And you're left in there with some new owner. You're like, well, crap, I don't know if th- this new company that acquired this is going to be worth anything. So you have the right to, this tag along, right, to sell when they sell at the same terms and price, which, which is good. On the other hand, there's something called a drag along, right? Which the majority of the founders typically, or, or the majority after if the founders get diluted down, can say, hey, we're going to sell. Like, let's say it's not an IPO, it's an acquisition, which is probably more common, actually, in the IPO. Yeah. And someone's going to acquire us. Um, but, so, we can force all of you minority shareholders to sell with us because the, the, this pe- people that wants to buy us, they want to buy the whole thing. So, they're going to buy our shares but they're also going to buy yours. And it's going to be the same term. So that's called a drag along, where they can drag you along and force you to sell. But again, they're typically doing that if they think you're going to make money. And one thing you may see in some of these shares is is there may be a um, liquidation preference too on stock. So you could invest, me if you had invested angel or seed rounds or or certain rounds, you might get a liquidation preference um, where you get your money back plus a share of the profits. So you're you kind of have this preferred stock that's better than common. And so but you'll get your money paid back that you invested plus you're you know selling your stock at the regular common price. So, so you got to look at the, some of those liquidation preferences when you're when you're buying. Um, and the but, last thing I would note is the anti-delusion um, which is important because some companies will say, hey, if you want to maintain your ownership stake, when we go offer more stock or units in the company, and you, let's say you own 5%, you want to maintain 5%, we'll offer that to you and you have the right to buy it um, To to if we offer new units and you're going to get diluted, but you're going to pay the then price we're offering at. And that's not always out there, but it's one, depending on if you want to maintain a certain stake in the company for whatever reason, um, sometimes you'll see. Aaron or Chris, any comments on these three or any others you think might be good for people to know?
1: Well, I think it would be good differentiating between common stock and preferred stock. I don't know that everybody necessarily knows what those terms necessarily are because we hear it all the time. And in in, in that, adding in like different classes of shares, A, B, C, like kind of give people a little context of that.
0: Yeah. So let me try that. And Chris, feel free to chime in too common is basically going to be like the regular stock. And the founders typically um, are going to have common stock typically in a business. And the investors may come in and have a preferred stock. And you could call this different share classes, class A, class B, whatever, or common preferred. It could be similar, the same meaning the same thing. But the preferred is usually like from the investor side, they're saying, well, I don't just own stock in this company. Like, I own stock, but I also get my money back. I got a certain liquidation preference is what they'll call it. So that, you know, like let's say I own stock in XYZ Inc. Well, like I can just sell my stock for whatever the stock price is, right? Like if it's worth 50 bucks a share, I can sell it 50 bucks a share. But if I have preferred stock, I can sell my stock at 50 bucks a share. Plus I get whatever initial money I put back into the deal. If the company gets acquired, let's say, you know, we get bought out, the PE firm comes and buys them. Like I get my money back, plus I get to sell my shares. So it's kind of a little cherry on top. And sometimes you'll get a one and a half times liquidation preference. There's other things that can, that can go, but um, that's the basics on it. Chris, anything you want to add to that?
2: Yeah, I would add to that, um, that the, the, the terms get thrown around a lot, but the features of each class of share is all that matters. Um, So like you could have a preferred stock with a liquidation preference, which means if the company is goes into bankruptcy or sold off for parts and pieces and stuff, that you get the first round of money after the debt gets paid. Oh, great! But that's kind of like rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic. If if the company's going down, it's unlikely that that's yeah. really going to be worth anything <laughs> to you at all. But a lot of investors, you know, they want their liquidation preference. It's like, okay, well, you know, it's, it's either going to be successful or it's not. Um, where it gets interesting is you can start creating for investors, and we did this with our company through preferred stock, a dividend, um, an income stream. And so maybe for the for the investors who have a self-directed IRA that's like a Roth, and they're in their maybe 40s and 50s, they're trying to grow their wealth, and you know that's where you know you want to be in the common stock because you want to get the biggest pop for your money. You know you want to get the biggest upside because. You know, if the company goes up ten times, you pay no tax. That's amazing, right? Um, On the other side of the equation, if you're in kind of a later stage in your investing career and you're like and you're older and you're looking for more consistent income, you could still be an, an investor in private companies looking at some of these preferred stocks because you're coming in in a more mature phase of the company. You're getting a liquidation preference and a bunch of like rights that will hopefully give you um, some protection that your money will be paid back to you. And you're getting typically a dividend, you know, and the way we structured our deal years ago was we sold three, a unit, which was two shares of common and one share of preferred. And the preferred stock had a 12% guaranteed dividend with a sinking, they call it a sinking fund. We actually fund the dividend up, up front. And so an investor who bought shares in our company got a combined uh, yield of 4% a year on the stock. So they got 4% a year because a third of it was at 12%. The other two thirds was at zero. No no dividend because it's common. And once we, as the company, had achieved, we sold that at a $50 million valuation. Once we'd achieved a $100 million valuation as, as you know, verified by a third party, um, the preferred converted to common. So we had an incentive to grow the value of our business to $100 million, to therefore take your $2 stock to $4 and double it, right? And by doing that, we got rid of having to pay this dividend like a debt, and it converted to common. So you can really get interesting in some of these later stage share classes where you can get income, you can get protection, you can get kind of aligned interests with a founder if you, if you have the right structure. That's great.
0: Um, All right. Let's um, hit some questions right now. Um, I see some in the chat. I'll feed. Um, Aaron, if you want to grab one or two you like. Um, And thanks for those uh, dropping them in. Um, This is uh, Calvin's question. Using an IRA to get into pre-IPO company, one key concern is what if the company fails to go IPO? What's the next investment? Unless the company trading on private or secondary market, investor has any other way to get out of the investment? Yeah. Um, what do you think on that? Cause I have some thoughts too, but
2: yeah. So, um, totally the biggest concern typically, if you're investing pre IPO on a company that says that it wants to go public is do they, are they really going to go through with it? Or are they going to get acquired or something like that? Is there going to be a liquidity li- liquidity event? Um, and that's where this whole reggae plus thing comes into play. Um, Because if you buy private stock through a typical private offering as an accredited investor in a company that says it wants to go public, you're going to be buying in a stage where the company is likely hasn't completed a single PCAOB audit, doesn't have any internal company infrastructure to be a public company like financial reporting and investor community visibility program and all the other stuff that you'll need to be able to create. And has aspirations to be listed on NASDAQ because they think it's cool and they want to go ring the bell, but <laughs> they probably have no clue what it takes to get from point A to point B. Um, and, it, and to give you a football metaphor, it's like receiving the football at the 20-yard line and you're going to go try to run down the field and score a touchdown. Now, you may think that this management team is the most amazing management team in the world and the founders committed and they do what they say they're going to do. And everything they say to you at that moment in time could be true. And yet when you start running down that football field and facts and circumstances change on every single yard that you hit, you're going to realize just like I did as a founder that, gee, um, maybe it's not the right time to go public. Maybe there's another thing here. Maybe we need to go down this way. And ultimately the founder's job is to protect you as a shareholder first and foremost, and not lose your money, which means they might take the company down a totally different path with a reg a company for better or for worse, and there are early-stage reggae companies and late-stage reggae companies, but for better or for worse, they have already received the football, run down the field, and they have um, committed vis-a-vis an SEC process to file a document that's very similar to what you have to file to complete an IPO. The SEC goes through a comment period, FIN reviews it, the SEC reviews it, you go through a full kind of typical vetting process and when you get done with that whole process, that's when you can raise money. And when you start raising money, you now have to report publicly twice a year. You file a 1K at the end of the year that's just like a 10K, but it's called a 1K. Um, and it looks like the same document. And so you get into the reps of doing public filings. And then normally you would file three-quarterly reports as a, as a listed company. As a reggae company, you only have to file one of those at the middle of the year. So you file a year end and you file a mid-year report. And you start training your team on what it's like to be a reporting company, how we have to get into the cycle of that, how to be on time, how to, you know, we got to hire the right people. It really builds an entire internal infrastructure at the company. So using that same football metaphor, it's like saying, okay, I'm going to invest in this company, but they're already in the red zone. Hmm. And they've yeah. already, they're already pot committed to go public because they're already spending money and they already have to deal with all the, 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 the gobbledygook that comes with being a public company. And now they just want the listing because as soon as they get the listing, they get all the benefits of being a public company. Without the listing, they're doing all the work with none of the benefits. So yeah. it de-risks the idea of investing pre-IPO and getting stuck. It doesn't guarantee you that the company's going to list, but it, it probably gives you a much a, a, takes you much further down the road.
0: Yeah, and I think to get Stacy had a question about kind of how to avoid fraud, and I think like you into your metaphor, the closer you get to the red zone, the less risk there is. Because you do have an audit, you know, like you're going to have audited financials, you're not going to have some financial projection that some pie in the sky, executive business plan summary that someone threw out to raise money off of, you know, so you've got like real financials audited by a third party CPA firm. And you know, and you can look at the professionals people use too that's the one thing i think once you get to reggae 2 and where you're in this red zone so to speak chris is there's a lot more professionals involved like i know you guys use deloitte you know that does your yeah. your audit and and you, there's a lot more people involved and so you can look at who's on their board you know and and all that and and, and who's part of management team and and let's look at their financials that are actually audited. They've been in business now. They have a track history. It's not just an idea and a concept. Yeah. But I be honest, Stacy, there is a little bit of fraud in this. You know, that's yeah. w- there's there is a risk in these pre-IPO companies, and there's reward too. So you gotta you gotta weigh that um, and and try to do your due diligence. Look the companies up if they say they're a registered corporation somewhere. Go look them up. You can look them up in any state. I mean, you know, um, and, and I do stuff as an attorney that we'll, we can do due diligence too. you know, directed IRA is like, we're going to invest in what you tell us to. So if you're like, invest in this company, I'm like, I'm not going to second guess you that as long as the, the documents look right and you want us to do it, we're going to do it, right? We're not going to say, no, you can't do that. Or did you think about this? Did you think about that? Did yeah, you think about yeah. this? That's, that's not our role at directed IRA, but you could get other professionals that could maybe help evaluate um, deals or terms, you know, the, the documents to see, is this a good deal or not? Or am I just getting a totally a crappy deal? Yeah. Other thing the, I'll mention. Oh, just want to
2: add one yeah. thing to that, Matt, the, the market is still forming. This is, this type of investing is only about five, six years old right now. So I know of a company that's trying to become like the Moody's of reggae companies. So they could rate yeah. this, this reggae offering is high rated. This one's low rated because, this one used Deloitte and Manette, like ours did, you know, to, to launch their offering with a top tier group. This one used, you know, ABC, uh, you know, CPA firm in Kansas City that no one's ever heard of. And they did they did yeah. the, re- the required minimum, but that maybe didn't produce the same results. So, you know, there's not yet that rating agency. There's not yet that market hasn't formed yet, but um, it's coming. And as it's coming, I, I think, some, one thing to consider for most investors is unless you have a $20, 30 $40, 50000000 million net worth and you're in the private banking groups of some of these banks, the likelihood that you have the option to invest pre-IPO in anything is, is close to zero except through these new methods of investing. So, The whole purpose of creating these methods was to start democratizing the ability to build wealth with these types of investments, but just like in the early days of eBay, you're going to have people who are selling stuff that doesn't exist. Um, and there's risk there, so make you know sp- string out your bets and 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 make lots of lots of little bets, and then as you get comfort, then you can grow those bets.
1: Uh, Roger has a good question about how warrants play into IPOs. Chris, do you want to take that one?
2: Yeah. So in a lot of the the early stage rounds, we offered warrants um, a, a couple of times in some of our early rounds. We like I sold we sold stock at eighty five cents a share. We offered a warrant at $1.70. Then we sold stock at $1.35 a share and offered a, a warrant at two fifty dollars 50 or something like that. Um, and what it is is, hey, you buy my stock and maybe if you buy 1,000 shares, I'm going to give you 250 additional warrants um, that you have two years to decide if you want to buy these warrants and it fixes the price of the stock for you in the future. So it's sort of like a, um, you know, it kind of gives you an upside play. So in, in the instance of us selling stock at $0.85 cents a share, you know, when we went and resold stock at $2 a share, the folks who had warrants at a dollar seventy said, Yeah, I want to buy my warrants because they're selling it too, and I can buy it at $1.70 now. It's a it's a way to um um enhance um your return as an investor. Um, and it's sort of like like uh they're saying like an option. option yeah. um, but on the other side of the fence, in terms of due diligence, if there's like All these outstanding warrants that you're not aware of and you're not seeing what that's going to do, you could think you're buying a company at a hundred million dollar valuation. You could see that valuation get cut in half with all these dilution from all these warrants and all this other gobbledygook uh, that's out there. So you've got to be uh, do your due diligence and and make sure that you're not getting, um, you know, your your valuation stripped away.
0: Yeah, that's a good tip to know when if you're investing kind of late stage you know, which does like, you know, go back to the football, you're kind of in the red zone, but there could be some baggage there. And that's a good tip to look at is how many outstanding warrants are there that could be exercised and, and dilute you that are, you know, that are, they're exercising at half the value you just bought at, you know? Okay. Um, All right. Any other questions you wanted to field there, Aaron? I just had one more item. um, I wanted to cover with Chris and then we'll come back to any other questions.
1: Yeah, the so um, I'll save this one towards the end. But I'm I'm curious on this. Are are there any ETFs that specifically invest in, you know, come in and invest in an angel round or Series A or Series B round? I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't either.
2: Actually, I, I, yeah, I I've that, never heard of that. <laughs> I mean, there's there's an ETF called IPO that invests in every IPO that comes out. So if you just want to bet the IPO mm. market, you can you can just buy shares of IPO. Uh, okay. But um, the unfortunately, for whatever for it is what it is. I'm not making a political statement here, but. The way that our governmental system is set up, the government wants to protect the investor from themselves, um, and um, and and because of that, unless you have, like I said, a net worth over five million dollars and you qualify as a qualified investor, the likelihood that you will be able to invest in any of this stuff in any manner at all is very low, except for these new crowdfunding options, uh, which is all designed to try to create a new way to invest in, in these deals. It doesn't necessarily like, why do an, why does an accredited investor, Matt, does someone buy into like that early stage medical device company? Probably because they knew somebody who was starting that company. Yep. You know, that's the only real way that you would get access in the past, unless you happen to be in one of these angel groups. Um, And so now a lot of those companies are putting their offerings online. And um, the the rub is that the VCs hate it. So um, all the VCs that are highbrow VCs, you know, Andreessen, et cetera, they all look at, oh, oh, you did a crowdfunding round. There must be something wrong with your company. Mm. Why couldn't you get real DC capital? Yeah. And maybe
0: there's not they them. want you to go get the money from them first and then go do a crowdfunding round at a higher valuation.
2: <laughs> they, they don't even want you to do that because really? they, they have this like, oh, if you did crowdfunding, you're just you're just not like a real company because you know if you if you really were that exciting, a VC would have invested in you and they think very highly of themselves. Um, they might be right, but yeah. I, I think the reality is, is that maybe the founder just doesn't want to get their valuation beat to death or maybe they saw a value in bringing in a wider shareholder base at an earlier stage. That's entirely possible. Um, so there's a big kind of rub right now between the the true v, the regular VCs, they call themselves true VCs, and the online crowdfunding market that's just like, forget you guys, we're moving on. You know?
1: so, yeah. so Matt, before you go into your last item and then we'll take some more questions, There there is one that, that came up about a, 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 a SPAC. So a special purpose acquisition company. Chris, as you were doing your due diligence and and decided the route of, you know, doing the Reg A offering, did you do any research on a, on a SPAC and what were your thoughts or, and process, you know, on on that? Yeah, thanks for your experience. For,
2: thank, thanks for teeing me up uh, perfectly here. I've got a little visual for you guys. Okay, um, cool. So, before I go into the visual, I don't want to distract you. A SPAC is a shell company that's been listed on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ that a bunch of investors invest cash into and it trades in the market. So, it's trading. It's just a a pile of cash. It's a
0: shell. It has nothing, right? It has has nothing in it. There's nothing in it. It's
2: just a big pile of cash and the trades are the ticker symbol. Insane. (laughs) And there's a group called the sponsor and the sponsor gets 20% of the SPAC for putting no money in the deal. And they come in, typically 20%, they come in with their expertise, you know, their board and their big names and their CEO and their management team. And they say, we're going to go buy a private company and take it public. And because of the arbitrage between how a private company is valued and a public company is valued, we're going to make the shareholders a whole bunch of money. And all the smart people in our sponsorship group are going to help the company grow. That's, that's the concept. Um, just so we're all on the same page, that's what they're trying to do. And what if, if 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 you look back at kind of that stack that Matt had, that visual of all the different stacks, what they're trying to do is to say rather than wait till the series C or D or E or F has happened and the VCs and the private equity groups have stripped all the value out of the company that to then take it public, let's take a public company and let's buy at the series B. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's buy much earlier. And let's let's get all the value for all this, the public shareholders. So it's sort of like a again, it's a push pull between the private equity and VC world and the public equities world. So, what has happened to SPACs in the last twelve months? This is a visual from Wall Street Journal. Um, I'm I'm happy to to post this little uh, um, um, address in here so you guys can take a look at it in the chat. But this is 2019. Uh, april 2019 and this is the the gray box here is the traditional ipos a big circle is 10 billion a, a middle circle is 5 billion a smaller circle is a billion dollars okay and these are SPACs, and these are all the SPACs that were started and launched or ipos that were started and launched as you can see the gray is really what's happening most of the time you're doing all these traditional ipos then you hit 2020 you go to april 2020 And then in July, you're like, what in the hell is going on? All of a sudden, the SPACs go bananas. Um, And so did the IPOs. But look at this. You get into October. You get into year end. And look at January. 131 SPACs have gone public so far this year in a month. Um, That's insane. And so all these public companies have all this cash. And now what are they trying to do? They're trying to buy private companies. So do you want to invest in public companies right now? Or do you want to invest in private companies that are going through an SEC process that could be a good target for the SPACs to buy? Because the reason why they're trying to buy them is they need something to buy. Because if they don't buy something within 24 months, they have to close the company.
1: And so they're really looking for good operators,
2: you know, that's... Yeah, and, and that's the game. I mean, that's what private equity funds do. They say, okay, we can buy this company at um, a multiple of six times its earnings, and if I took it public in the public markets today, it would be worth twelve times its earnings. So I double the value of the company by taking it public, just because the public pays a higher multiple for those earnings. Um, and that's what the that's what the spacs are trying to accomplish. It's a it's a financial arbitrage engine, and um, it's a great question because. Historically speaking, there's been more SPAC capital raised in the last year than all of the history of the SPAC um, vehicle combined.
0: Yeah, well, that's good for the pre-IPO, you know, for lack of a better word, company, right? There's 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 more potential suitors out there. That's right. (laughs) Well, um, that that can make those investors coming in get a good return because they're obviously going to have to buy at a premium if they negotiate a purchase um, of a private company. Okay. Well, let me, I think there are some other questions in here. Um, well, let's
2: just... it's, it's also a feather in the cap for the reggae company because yeah. if you're a private company worth 500 million bucks and you're a reg A company worth 500 million bucks. If SPAC buying a private company that hasn't gone through any of the process necessary to become a public company, doesn't have any audits. It's a yeah. very painful transaction for them. A SPAC buying a company that's already public reporting and already has the infrastructure necessary to be successful highly much higher likelihood to have be a successful public company so it actually gives that a a lot of credence to the idea of if i'm later stage in my company and i do want to end up in the public markets maybe i do a reg a round maybe i raise some capital that gives me like a 12 to 24 month window to get listed Um, and it gives me you know some shots on goal
1: that, that was really good matt you want to hit your item and then we'll
0: wrap up with the last q a yep well, this is just one of the QA items that was in there, which was, um, where. So this the question was, where can we buy pre-IPO companies before going public? I mean, there are some of the crowdfunding portals. I mean, what ones have you guys used or the ones you'd say people that go maybe check out for kind of in the crowdfunding model? Yeah. Um, but what's your So we're there? invested on a, on a portal called SeedInvest,
2: seedinvest.com. Um, but I mean, a lot of these portals are behind the times. They, they don't even have structures set up for self-directed IRAs to invest, which is so silly because it's a private stock that's illiquid that doesn't trade. Where do you want to hold that? You want to hold that in your retirement account because you don't need liquidity in your retirement account,
0: yeah, right? Long
2: so we actually, um, for, for us, if you go to, for our particular offering, if you go to um, caliberpublicoffering.com or just email us at, at the company... Um, we have an offline process that we can help you guys, if you have a Directed IRA, get invested in our stock um, that just doesn't go through the online portal, basically. Or we can help you set up an account with Directed IRA um, to invest in the stock. And other companies probably are doing that too. So if you go to the online portals, there's Seed Invest and Star Engine and Republic and OurCrowd, there's a handful of them out there. Um, and you find a company you like, if you can't invest online with your IRA, just get a hold of the company. The company can probably help you get it done because the company can take the money indirectly.
0: Yeah. And there's some we've linked to just so people know, you know, there's some that we're on actually where IRAs can go. So hit us up if you're looking for those. Some of the ones Chris mentioned are, are pretty popular. Um, and I like the tool of you know, find the company you like and then reach yep. out to their investor relations or management team if you want to invest your IRA, because many of them are going to allow that. It just might be a, a little different process off the clicking on the site. Um, but you can still effectuate the same deal if you like the company and what they're doing. That's right. All right, Aaron, any questions you want to get out of the QA or? Yeah, just, you know, so uh, Gary is asking the difference
1: between receiving crowd notes versus shares.
2: Yeah. So there's um, crowdfunding for all different types of uh, investments. So you've got notes where you can lend your money and you've got shares of of a company where you own a piece of the company. In the lender position, you're getting a rate of return on your note and you're hoping to get paid off. That's about it. Maybe you might even get a little bit of equity kicker if you uh, you you get a little piece of, of stock because you lent the company money. In an equity position, you own your piece of the company. And if the company's value goes up, hopefully you'll be able to see a big return on your investment. Um, there is no real um, uh, difference from an equity crowdfunding. It's just, are you buying a piece of a note or are you buying a piece of a company? Yeah. Um, the, the, the only thing that is kind of uncomfortable about equity crowdfunding for notes is who's in charge if there's a default. If you lent a company 100,000, you're in charge. If you lent the company 1,000 with you know 100 other guys, Who's in charge? Like, who's going to fix it if the if the note defaults? So that's always kind of a head scratcher um, for sure. some of those, those those shared equity notes.
1: That's a great point. Um, closing the loop on the, the on the SPACs, uh, you know, Steve's asking a good question. Um, you know, it looks like it's become more and more saturated. You know, all these SPACs looking for these amazing companies to buy then what are the chances they're actually gonna match with you know, one that will be successful?
2: Pretty, while it's pretty low, if you, if you look at just that visualization, um, it actually might not be. And the reason why it might not be is, it used to be that the sponsors would get this really big piece of the company and that sponsorship has gone down and down and mm. down, it's getting smaller and smaller. So now, as a private company looking to go public, I'm like, ah, eh, yeah, I might do a deal with the SPAC if the right sure. one came along. Versus before, you would give up so much of your company for nothing that it just made no sense. Um, so the, the the structure has fundamentally changed, and you got to remember the private equity business outpaced public company IPOs a long time ago. And now, what the public the SPACs are doing is they're taking back market share from the private equity business. So it may not be as saturated as you think. But it's also, again, a reason for you to be investing in the series A, series B, later stage rounds of the companies that are private. So you get to invest in the targets instead of just buying a bunch of SPAC shares and hoping you pick the one that's actually going to convert because yeah. some yeah. of them convert, some of them won't. And it's very hard to pick and choose which one's going to do it.
0: Yeah. yeah, And I'll come back to Calvin's question on that because it's relates to a piece of Calvin's question about a key concern about if the company fails to do an IPO. Well, actually, that's when you're investing in what would be a pre IPO company, the IPO is not very likely to happen, right? Yeah. That's just, there's just not a lot of IPOs. Even if the company's successful, the IPO is not necessarily likely to occur. One thing that we've seen, I've seen with other accounts, uh, IRAs here, is the company gets acquired. That yeah. is probably the most likely. Some strategic partner acquires them, some private equity fund acquires them, and you all get bought out. Yeah. You know, and so and that and we've seen clients have great returns on those with IRAs. So the 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 favorable outcome is actually probably more likely. I think acquisition and this could and this could even be the SPACs we're talking about, a PE firm or some strategic company in that industry that that let let's say this medical device company I mentioned earlier, some other medical device company may say we want to buy that and add that product to our suite of medical device products that we already sell.
2: Yeah, and most companies. Um... Following those exact thing, you know that exact line of thinking, Matt, are, like you said, are going to get acquired or they're going to IPO. The unfavorable outcome is neither one of those occurs. Yeah. The, the question on the risk side is, does that matter? So most companies in 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 America today, funded by venture capital, are technology companies or medical companies or some sort of form of tech like fintech, prop tech, a bunch of a different tech. Um, and the reason why it's such a risk reward scenario is they got to raise $5 million to go raise $15 million to raise $50 million to raise $150 million in order to get to the point where they have a product that dra- generates revenue and profit. So if you're investing in one of those companies and they fail to get acquired or they fail to go public, the likelihood is that your, proper, your investment might be going to zero, or maybe you'll get cents in the dollar or something like that. If you're investing in a company that is pre-IPO like mine, that is profitable, does make money and doesn't need to raise another round of capital to survive, like whether we ever did an IPO or not and raised any additional capital, we're probably going to be a happy profitable platform that will continue to grow. Then your worst case scenario might be you own a private stock in a company that you can't sell, but you might be getting a dividend and maybe the company will buy the stock back from you at some point in time if for some reason you can never sell it or whatever, so you're in a totally different scenario and it just depends. Are you invested in a company that needs to get from the, you know, the, the phase three trial to the phase two trial or the phase two trial, to the phase three trial or whatever that is, or are you investing in a company that's just raising some growth capital? Yeah, uh, It's two different scenarios.
0: Awesome. Uh, Aaron, anything on your end? I was just going to wrap up here unless you got anything else you want to hit.
1: No, I think, uh, I think this has been great. I think there's a lot of, Uh, good information. Of course, you know, I always, I like the saying like legit recognizes legit and you can always tell when people are experts in their industry and they're doing the business, they know the terminology, you know, they're, they're using the right vendors and companies, you know, to build their organization. And that, you know, that remains to be true uh, with Chris and what he's built at caliber. And so I think those are those are very key things to recognize from both a due diligence standpoint uh, when you're, you know, going to invest. And, you know, at the end of the day, sure, you're investing in a company, but you're really investing and believing in the operators and those leaders and managers of the company. You know, even what we're building at Directed IRA, we just have amazing talent over here. You know, we, we, we love we love our clients and we love our staff that works with us and and that shows and, you know, and our expertise shows and what Matt's built and, you know, on the self-directed space and all of his knowledge is, is tremendous as well. And so you're really getting it, you know, some, uh, some great case study and, you know, some, some profession from the professionals uh, to go through. And of course, Matt put up the, you know, ways to get in touch with, with Chris over at caliber and his uh, email office line and, and website there for the offering. So that's all I'd mm-hmm. like to say and we we appreciate okay. you
0: coming on Chris and then Matt back to you. Okay? Cool. Yeah, I was this is just going to be lawyer Matt closing us out here <laughs> with the well, hey, lawyer Matt,
2: can I say one more thing before <laughs> you close? Yeah, go ahead, <laughs> so, um, before Matt uh, puts a damper on everything that that uh, <laughs> that um, I just want to let it linger for a little bit. Thank you guys both for this. This is a great opportunity to get in front of your audience. And um, you know, we have really enjoyed having you come in and teach our team about uh, IRA investing and, and such. That's been great. Um, I want to wrap just reminding people why would, thank you for learning about this, but why would you want to buy a private stock in a private company? Seems like a lot of work, right? Yeah. And and then if you've ever worked in a company that's a large company, you might think, you know, gee, why would I want to buy a, a, a public stock in a big company? Because, <laughs> you know, the soul died a long time ago.
0: Right?
2: <laughs> and that's there's, there's soul in private companies. You know, any company with less than 125 people is still operating as that, like like, closely knit, powerful tribe. And do you want to own a piece of that? Yeah, that's the idea. The whole point of this is to be able to buy at that stage because it's fun and it's interesting and you're you're hopefully picking a company that's going to become that next gigantic business or whatever but you're also being able to buy, you know, at a, at a price that probably is much better than what you can buy in your, you know, your local stock exchange, yeah. right? So that's why you do it. And it does take more time and effort. It does take you, you know, directing your IRA and doing the work and doing some due diligence and stuff, but it can be really fun. And that's the whole reason why you do it. And if that doesn't sound appealing to you, then then I definitely would say don't do it because the whole part of the process is getting to know the companies themselves and uh, and enjoying that. So
0: with that, lawyer Matt. Uh, All right. That was a good send off. I like that. that. was This is before lawyer Matt comes on and says, I, I just want to say, here's why we had Chris. I mean, he's got a reggae plus offering going right now. Like they got reg D funds you can invest in. Which stuff.
2: closes in eight days, by the way. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. So you might want to start looking today because you got to give yourself some headway to learn on it. So, um, but I, what I want to just say is like, Chris is an expert in this and and that's why we want to come on is just from the educational standpoint, whether you should invest in this stuff. I don't freaking know. I have no idea. Uh, that's, that's for you to decide. But I also think our last directed IRA podcast episode um, that Mark and I did was on due diligence mm-hmm. and we did a, 10 point due diligence checklist that turned into 15. And one of them is just a general concept I'll just say is, is like, kind of invest in what you know, which is kind of a general concept of self-directing, but also just take measured risks. If you're going into more aggressive investments, I don't care whether this is crypto, which could be very speculative, you know, um, maybe you're buying a SPAC, <laughs> who knows? I don't know, mm-hmm. on the public shade. Maybe you're messing in a private company like like Chris's or or a reg D offering, or I, I don't know. Like just take measured risk into that. Don't go all in on one thing. You know, that that could be very risky. So um, but you know, seek out your professionals. I hope you guys learned something today. Chris's contact info is there. This is recorded, so we'll put it up. We'll rip the audio into the directed IRA podcast. We'll have the video, of course, on. Uh, my YouTube channel. And thanks again, Chris, for coming on. And thanks everyone for the questions and participating in the first of many. We'll be doing these at least monthly uh, Directed IRA educational webinars. Thanks, everyone.